0: And welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source in the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? How many emails do I have today? I have so many emails in Thunderbird. This will be a very relevant question in a second. First, I want to introduce our only host today. We have Richard on the show. Hello, everyone. And then we have a guest. Today, we have Ryan Sipes on the podcast, the community and biz dev manager for Thunderbird, also the treasurer for Thunderbird. Ryan, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: I'm excellent. So Thunderbird is awesome. I've been using it for years. How did you end up there and what's going on?
1: That's kind of an interesting random story. I started kind of really my tech career as a sysadmin and was working at a data center and then at a library system, which supported a bunch of public libraries. And in both those places, I was always the open source Linux advocate guy, just replacing whatever (laughs) piece of technology was there with an open source alternative. Not so much even because I was a bit of an idealist then, but also because frankly, the cost was better and the solution was usually far and away better. So I did that, and then I started a company, Mycroft AI, which was an open source Amazon Echo type thing before the Amazon Echo. Went from there to System76 makes Linux computers, so you can see kind of this open source. (laughs) (laughs) And then while I was at system 76, we would get questions all the time. What should I be using for applications on my Linux computer? I bought the Linux machine. Like, what do you recommend for an email client? What do you recommend for blah, 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 blah. But the email client was the one that was like one of the most painful answers because people would hop over to different email clients for maybe Outlook. Maybe they just replaced a bunch of their machines for their engineers. And they would say like, Oh man, I need X, Y, and Z feature, and this doesn't have it. And so I started pointing people at Thunderbird, but the problem with Thunderbird, in my opinion, was that they had all the features that had, but they weren't necessarily discoverable. They were hard to find or hard to get things exactly tuned to the way you would really want everything to work. And so I saw an opportunity over at Thunderbird, and I thought, I'm going to go over there and fix this problem. And so I did. And that's how I ended up at Thunderbird.
0: How did you go from, I'm going to go over there to being over there. I mean, is there a job application site? So so Thunderbird is is under Mozilla, right? Or used to be?
1: Yeah. It used to be at the time it was under the Mozilla foundation. They posted a job community manager position on Fossjobs.net, I think. And I don't remember what exactly I was looking at, but I just happened to come across it. And at the time I was actually still at system 76. And it said like on there, it said part-time contract possible. And so I was at System76 and I thought if I could give 10 hours <laughs> or 15 after my main job to this project, that could be really great. And so I applied, but then just because of life and how life goes by the time they got back to me, I was, well, I'd consider doing something more consistent. And so I ended up eventually coming on full-time. But yeah, it's been a wild ride. I discovered the job through Foss Jobs, which is a really great resource, by the way, for your listeners, if they yeah. want to work in open source software.
0: Fossjobs.net. I actually hadn't heard of that. That's really cool. How large is the contribution base? How many people do you have as active contributors? Where are they contributing? Is it on GitHub?
1: Some of them are on GitHub, but the main code base is a Mercurial code base. Firefox is the same way. And so hg.mozilla.org, that's where... The magic happens, that's where our repos are for Thunderbird, Firefox, code base. And then we have plenty of supporting libraries, whatever, documentation on GitHub. We have about, I don't know, at any point, it changes quite drastically how many people we can have contributing in any given month. We have a lot of people who watch, but they don't necessarily send a patch every month. So it can range from a hundred, probably we have a hundred to 200 really active people. And then more who are kind of randomly contributing in any given month. But it's kind of weird too, because we share a ton of code with Firefox. And so there's a lot of cross pollination there that that's technically a change to Firefox, but it affects us. So we're kind of share this contributor, but it's a fairly active community and it's frankly all community run. Thunderbird is a strange project in that when it, Left Moco Mozilla Corporation, where Firefox is housed, it went to the foundation, and the idea there was like, "Oh, this can be run by the community because we're not sure what our plans for the business of Thunderbird would be." And it's really succeeded under the community. There's a elected council, Thunderbird Council, which is elected every year by our contributors. If you contribute Mm -hmm. ten hours or more over the course of the year, you're eligible to Hmm. vote and run for the council. And that governs all of the project. (laughs) And so, yeah, in that respect, our community is very active because it's literally responsible for every part of the project.
0: So the council, I'm trying to understand the governance model. It's still underneath the Mozilla Foundation or is it in its own foundation now? Then where does the council fit?
1: So the council acts as essentially a board and we do have a board. Above us. Yep. We're in this subsidiary of the foundation now, which is our own. The council is given kind of free reign unless it tries to do something illegal or something, at which case yep. that Mozilla might step in. But for the most part, they make all the decisions around budgeting, hiring, et cetera, as well as setting the project strategy and, and vision. So a very powerful community <laughs> council. Yeah.
0: How many employees does this have?
1: We have 14 right now. Uh, wow. So quite a lot. We've grown a ton over the past year and a half. When I came on there were two of us and now yep. we're up to 14 and that's over the course of 3 years. So You've
0: grown since April. Have you grown during coronavirus as well?
1: Yes. Yep. How how did you manage that? <laughs> <laughs> so beyond being the community manager, I'm also yep. the business development manager yep. and I serve as treasurer on the council when I was looking at the coronavirus, I was very worried because 99 point, I don't know, 9% of our funding comes from in-kind gifts from donations. And so I was looking and I was thinking, wow, this is really bad. (laughs) Like people are going to get laid off from their jobs. They're not going to give to Thunderbird. And we're going to have to really think of hard about how we're going to survive. But that's not the case. If anything, we got a lot more donations. I assume it was because people were at home installing Thunderbird on their home machines. And as part of that process, they were seeing the ask, can you give and we're giving. And so our active user base was higher during this period than it normally is. And our donations were higher.
0: (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I hadn't, I guess the only project I've heard of that's entirely donation based that did better during COVID. That's really interesting.
1: It is very strange. More people downloading Thunderbird is most of where people were getting funneled into the donation ask. they download it and it's like, okay, you downloaded, would you like to give a little bit to support our cause? And people did.
0: Do you have any idea how many people use Thunderbird?
1: Yeah, we have approximately, I'd say 25 million monthly active users. And daily, we 10 million people open the application every day.
0: Wow. So every time I open the app, you're getting a stat somewhere that I've done that. Yeah, just
1: a ping. Just it, When it checks for, we, you have a unique identifier, and when it checks for updates, it says unique identifier, blah, 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 to ask for an update. But just for anybody who might be freaking out, <laughs> it's not tied to any of your personal idea. We have no idea who you are, where you are, anything like that. We just have a random string attached to an ask for an update.
0: Super cool. Are there any competitors to Thunderbird out there in the open source market? Like I'm trying to think of another one that's really relevant as far as like open source and size.
1: Yeah. I don't know about in size. That's a good differentiator. We do have plenty of open source competitors, but I don't think any of them have the same reach that we have or the same user base. Most likely, if someone's going to compare us, the comparison is usually outlook. I mean, yeah, when we're trying to convince users to use us, they most often compared to Outlook. Yeah, so that's good because it forces us to compete against somebody who's a leader in the space, not just our open source friends in the space.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's excellent. So I, w- I want to get back to when you were spun out of Mozilla. So it seems to me that that was a really interesting. Time because often when a project or a company says, "Hey, we're done with this open source thing. Uh, we're just going to let it live by itself over there in the fields, and it'll yes. frolic around and be happy," and then it swiftly, <laughs> you know, runs out of grass and dies. So, yeah, how did that not happen to Thunderbird?
1: <laughs> yeah, so getting spun out was before me, but living with the aftermath of that was when I was there. So when it got spun out, it was I'm trying to get this right, 2014, I think, maybe 2015, and. The Mozilla Corporation was paying a team to work on Thunderbird. Of course, there were community contributions at a pretty good level, but you know it does help to have people who mm. sit down at a desk every day and think like, how do I move this forward? And they're guaranteed to be there. So that was a big hit. And, but the worst thing that came with that was the perception that the project was dead or dying. That When I came on, that was the number one perception every time that release from Mozilla yeah. that said, we're spinning this out, did immense damage to people's perception of Thunderbird. There were a lot of people who just said, I didn't download Thunderbird because I didn't realize it was still getting updates. I didn't realize yeah. it. it was still, yeah, I thought if it had a security issue at that point in time, that's still there. If it has whatever. You know. And so one of my first jobs was just getting out there and telling people, no, 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 it's, it's not dead. Look, <laughs> they hired me like I'm here. There are people working on it, but it was hard. It was a really bad time, not so much from we were still getting donations and people were still contributing, but just that perception was wildly detrimental just to us across the board. Do
0: you think that's just because it was poorly written or you think it was the actual how that happens in general? Every time someone sees something gets spun out, they think it's going to die?
1: I think it's probably more the latter, but some of the former in that the stuff that mozilla put out at the time it didn't talk about what the future was for thunderbird at all it didn't i mean it said hey the community's taking this over but that's it that's as far as it went if you don't get in there and figure out what's happening even myself reading that is like oh this is not good (laughs) yeah yeah, like but because of that governance model that got set up immediately afterwards there were a lot of people who were actively showing up and thinking about how to make this thing sustainable and how to give it a future.
0: How would you do that differently if you were Mozilla's leadership board?
1: I don't think they made the wrong decision at the time. You still see why the decision was made now. Their number one product is Firefox. They compete with Google and Microsoft and Apple. And all three of them have platforms where they essentially... (laughs) have kind of these monopoly advantages. And so it's very hard. So they decided they had to focus and it's hard to be an email client, especially when Gmail is such a strong force in the world. A lot of people, they use the Gmail web app, they use the Gmail mobile app, that's all they need. And so it's a hard space to be in. And and if you're not willing to really sit down and make an investment in it, our investment is very small compared to the other players in the space. So it's just hard. It's hard. And frankly, they didn't know what the future would bring for the project. This is, I think a major surprise for them. I think it was a major surprise for the Thunderbird community that we've come back (laughs) as strong as we have. So I don't think they could have done it necessarily any different. It's just a matter of, (laughs) you know, what the landscape looked like at the time.
0: So when you're brought on as biz dev, what did you, initially start doing, you said that 99.9% of your money comes from donations, which kind of is awesome, but then what else does that leave, right? What else do you do to help make sure the project has more money and time?
1: I would say still our number one liability is that we need to be more diversified as far as where we get money from. When you're relying on just the donations, it's difficult because you never know these people who are donating, are they going to consistently, you know, every month or every year we, some of those people decide to make recurring donations. And so we can kind of count on that. We can look and say, okay, this X amount is going to make a recurring donation and kind of plan based off of that. But I'd say 80% are not recurring donations. They're one off. And so you have to like, just assume that people are going to continue, Coming and downloading Thunderbird and seeing those asks, or when we engage with them, we quite a few of our users sign up for newsletters. So sending Mm. them kind of a reminder, like, "Hey, it's helpful if you support us." That part is kind of a grind in that you have to constantly be doing your work in order to engage with people. But what we're trying to do right now and what we've been working on is we have a lot of really great email providers in the space Mm. and giving them some elevated like when you set up an account in thunderbird there's also an option to create a new email address either with your own custom domain or just a provider who shares your values such as like a privacy focused you know provider and so we're pouring a little bit of time into elevating these other services to our users and then of course we would get a cut based off of if people sign up via that referral We're also looking pretty heavily and getting ready to do a couple of pilot programs with enterprise support. And so we'll see how that goes. But right now it's just been focusing in on the donations and really just engaging with donors or potential donors. One thing that really, I guess, made us successful at the level that we are, like this year we're gonna do $2.3 million in donations. And so that's reasonably good. That's, yeah, you know, <laughs> I uh, so. Uh, But so much of that came from explicitly letting users, letting donors know that we need the support in order to produce a really high quality piece of software. And it's not trivial even distributing that. Even the cost of making it available for download, for the tens of millions of users that we have is costly. So there's lots of, and just making sure that the user knows that this is all the stuff that comes with it is important. Letting them in on it and saying, hey, we serve only you, but we're also only supported by you.
0: I love that. I use Thunderbird. I use it mostly for the GPG capabilities. Although I'm not really sure why, I need to have those emails, but I think it's kind of fun. I have some pen pals where we just write in encrypted emails because we can enjoy it. And I have the luxury of doing that, which is great. I live in a state that isn't currently trying to suppress my emails, although surely other ones are being suppressed here. Right. But do you see any difference in the kind of users? You said you're interested in enterprise support and you're trying to see how that avenue might look. Do you see any difference in the kind of users who use Thunderbird and are you trying to cater to them in particular, as opposed to say people who just use Gmail for their day-to-day purposes?
1: Well, one of the things that we consistently hear from users is that they can only use Thunderbird. They just, that's their words. They say, I can only use it because of X, Y, and Z. And there are a lot of X, Y's and Z's that make yeah. up like people's specific use cases, but they usually are very interesting. Like yeah. they, they have it just configured a specific way. Or they're in an organization, maybe they're in a small business, or we even have a couple large user bases at governments and so on, where they're like, we have it configured this very specific way, everything works just perfect. And so right now, the process is having really long conversations, trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we take these things that make it special and make sure that people can continue to do these special things with Thunderbird? because that seems to be one of our areas that's kind of our secret sauce. So like, for instance, figuring out with one of these government entities, like what is the specific stuff that you're doing and how can we make that easier, remove some burdens? Maybe in some cases they're having to write very specific add-ons. Like how can we give you access to parts of the Thunderbird that you need to change yeah. or, or adjust? How can we make that better provide APIs and things like that? But it's. It's a lot of learning, a lot of engaging, and just, there's no replacement for it. <laughs> like, you have to seek people out, talk to them, and figure out how to better serve what they're doing.
0: Well, that's fascinating, because to me, I, I've always found one of the issues I have with Thunderbird, personally, and this, I hope this isn't a lot of other people, but it's just a lot of features. It's a lot of yes. stuff going on. When I look in the, the settings, I'm like, ah, it's too much. I just wanted to check
1: my mail. You can replace your operating system with Thunderbird. Like you could just have like a (laughs) Linux kernel that just like boots into Thunderbird. And there's, if you want, there's like a setting that will let you do pretty much anything you would ever want. (laughs) No, but well, maybe, I don't know. I'd like, you know, you could try to me. Like the biggest thing is whenever I say I can't do this in Thunderbird to my team, you know, we'll be like, you can do that. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, it's there. You just don't, you just got to go down to this and you got to enable that. And then it's capable of so much, but yes, I feel like one of our biggest challenges has been, okay, it can do almost anything you'd want to do with email and calendaring and stuff like that, but the one of our biggest challenges is surfacing stuff when people need it, making it more discoverable, making it so that you have a good experience in yeah. it when using it and that's one of our biggest challenges, and we've come a long way. this release that we just had seventy eight We put a lot more time into UX and trying to make features more discoverable. But we still have a long way to go. I mean, it's an enormous application and it takes a long time to figure out what we're going to do in these different areas, whether it's encrypted email, whether it's calendaring, whether it's we do have chat even built in and an RSS feeder, like what are we going to do with these features? Do they still make sense? And if they do, like, how are we going to make them something that people can discover and use and that it's actually helpful and improves their productivity.
0: This yeah. actually gives me hope because like, I don't use it every day. I mostly shunt all of my emails into my one Gmail because there's a couple features that just kind of confuse me. But yeah. if it's possible that they could be configured, because if you're saying if you can do X in Thunderbird, you can do X in Thunderbird, then maybe that means I just need to spend an hour and then I'll be a happier person.
1: One thing I bring up all the time is I think I have a really great setup in Thunderbird one that you kind of, that really mirrors a lot of what you expect out of like a modern email client. Yeah. But that was not the default. (laughs) Yeah, And so like people say, well, I really want, for instance, like the conversations type interface of Gmail where it threads everything and in one thread you click it, you get that conversation interface. I have that, but that's not the default. It's not really easily discoverable. And so these are the types of things that we have to think about and at least give the user like some onboarding and and the ability to enable maybe an experience more in line with what people expect these days.
0: So you have a ton of users who are super dedicated who only use this thing and they're the best. And then you also have, what would you say, $2.3 million in donations this year, which is incredible, which means there's got to be a large amount of people in there who could use other things, but just like Thunderbird, which is great. So there's, yeah. there are people who are just in general, like me, like I, I don't have to use it. Sometimes I go in there when I want to write long emails. I find it's nicer to have the window. How do you ask for money so effectively? Do you have any tips on how to get donations? Because I think you're the largest project I know of that does this so well. I, I can't think of another one at the top of my head. So
1: yeah, it was hard for me. I came from. To other projects where, I mean, System76 is not a project, it's a company, but, yep. you know, it's in this space, but the business model is very easy. We sell you a computer. It has open source software on it. Very easy. Even if we make some of that open source software, that's not the main way in which we make money. That's like the yeah. something we do as a value add. Mycroft, we sold a device. And the same thing, like, you know, the software allows us to have a competitive advantage of our competitors because we can have lots and lots of talent from all over the world helping, but it's not the way that we make money. Thunderbird is different because there's no upfront sale. like That is the focus. It was hard for me because you're looking at what donations are and what the conversion rate is. And when I came in, it was like, I mean, it's still low, but it's not near as low as it was. And it's like, okay, you have 10 million people open the application every day, but you probably maybe have like 1% conversion rate to somebody donating or something like that. So eventually I was looking at elementary OS and I'm trying to think there were other projects in there at the time, but I think elementary OS was the one that pushed me over the edge. If your listeners aren't familiar, the elementary is a Linux distribution. Very artisanal, like very lots of time and effort goes into making the user experience just really great. Actually, at the time I was getting coffee with one of the creators of it once a week. They went to this kind of pay what you want paywall model for the OS. So when you go to download it, they have a, before the download starts, they have an explicit ask. They say, pay what you want, pay what you want for elementary, essentially, even if it's zero. Yeah. But like you can put something in there. And the internet got very upset about that. I remember Reddit saying, like, this is open source software, this is free software. Like you're putting it behind like a kind of paywall, even though you could say I put no, zero. Yeah. like zero. Yeah. And so I asked him, I was like, Man, this looks kind of negative. What impact did it have? And he's like, Well, now we actually have enough money to hire people and build the <laughs> OS. And whereas before, like conversion was infinitesimally low, I think they said they maybe had like, I might say the wrong number, but it was a lot of users, like 700,000 users or something like that, but it's almost nothing in money. And then they went to now they have, I think two or three full-time people working on it. And so clearly a much better performance. And I thought, well, maybe the thing is we just have to ask and be very upfront about it. And it seemed like such a small thing, but I told my team, like, we have got to ask people, like, as soon as they download, it says, your download has started. And then the X. And we did that. And immediately donations went up substantially. Awesome. Like two, two X at least. And then we started finding these other places where we could make asks. We had a newsletter and we had only used it exclusively for telling people about what we were doing but never for asking them to support us. And so, (laughs) so we just started using that and saying like, Hey, we would tell them some of the things we had done and then ask and say like, Hey, this is only possible because of money that our users give us. So, and I've tried a few different things, such as saying like, Hey, if everybody who got this email gave us $5, that would fund us for a year or half a year. Jimmy Well's approached. (laughs) Yes. But I mean, it's crazy to think about, but I'm getting ready to send our end of year newsletter. And if everybody on that list did give $10, I mean, we'd almost have a full year of funding. Yep. Yep. So it's, it's just, a, it's crazy. Like you could pay for a whole year of, of Thunderbird developers working on it full time, a team of 14, just by giving up $10 in the holiday season. To me, that's just insane value for your money. Cause if you use Thunderbird every day, it's at least worth $10. <laughs> I don't
0: know. I mean, that's what? Three cents a day. I mean, that's, that's pretty rough.
1: So, <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's a lot less than people pay for other products. I think Yeah, some other products. Totally. So
0: I pay like, yeah. what is it? 40 or $60 a month just for Lightroom and Photoshop. So yeah, and that's a month, right? Which is it's ridiculous. It doesn't even make sense. It's just, that's the only real solution I found to the problems I have there. So I can think imagine paying 3 cents a day for this.
1: <laughs> yeah. If you think about a 10 million users log in yep. every day, if we were charging for the software and had some kind of subscription model like that, we'd be a hundred million dollar yep. company like that. $10 a month. I'm not sure people would pay that, but it's just uh It's insane to think about how many users we have versus when you talk about how much we actually bring in the form of revenue, it's very small.
0: But But it's still enough.
1: It's it's not, yeah, it's enough. Yeah, we have a a lot of people now who can hack on the project full-time and it's made an extraordinary difference. Before we had a lot of technical debt just because we spun out from MoCo and there were a couple of years there where we were just keeping things running And um, now we've managed these last couple of years to catch up. Now we're able to not focus on the plumbing so much as actual like improvements to the features, the UX, et cetera. So yeah, it's an, it's, I'm happy with where it's at and it feels sustainable.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Do you give back at all to your open source projects that Thunderbird uses?
1: So what we've been trying to do is if there are add-ons, for instance, that are very popular. We obviously try to help out. Like if an add-on author is like, hey, I'm trying to update to support this new version or this new feature, or there's a new API and you want to implement. We have a full-time add-on coordinator who engages with these people and and tries to make sure that everybody is able to accomplish Mm. what they want in that space. Obviously, we pull a ton from Firefox. But then again, just as part of just hacking on a lot of the shared code base, I feel like we are able to give back to them in the form of like, oh yeah, we have to have this fixed for our purpose. Here you go. And we get so much from, I mean, we're still subsidiary of the Mozilla Foundation and we share a code base with Mozilla. So we're still very tied to their community and that ecosystem. So we engage them a lot. Yeah. Beyond that, we do have memberships and other groups like CalConnect and other standards bodies and stuff that we provide money to in order to be a member. But a lot of that is, I mean, we get a lot of value from that, but it's also a lot of that is to make sure that thoughtful people have the funding they need to do to work on these things. So we try, and obviously it's something that looking at it this year, especially, there's always probably more we could be doing if we as we go through and identify what projects we're using. But yeah, it's a good question. And I'll have to put on my list before the end of the year to, to maybe identify some projects that could really use our help, but we try. Well, you're
0: also an open source project yourself. So it's not, I'm not saying you have to, I was just curious. <laughs> we're running up on time. So I wanna make sure we get to a few other questions in Spotlight. So one of them is, what are you most excited about in the future?
1: Well, this release we rolled out end-to-end encrypted email support through PGP in Thunderbird by default. That was a big lift, but there's still a ton of work to be done there. There are a lot of people who have specific use cases and stuff. So we're trying to go through as quickly as we can and like address as many use cases for encrypted email as possible. But that's one area I'm super excited. And then we also have put a lot of time into just improving the UX. And like you, we talked about discoverability of features in Thunderbird, but that work is, has had a long tail. It's it's been a long time coming in and this release, they, our users got some of that, but our next release, it'll be even more substantial in improvements in that area. So those are the two things as far as like improvements to Thunderbird that I'm excited about. And then the last thing is, just getting over a lot of this technical debt it's a lot easier <laughs> to actually work with our community and say what do we want to do we've been talking about a lot of it has just been like surviving okay we survived we're in a good spot now now we're thriving like what are we going to chase after what are the big things that we want to chase after and so that's really exciting that's where you want to be is in any anything in life but specifically as an open source (laughs) project it's better to be thriving than than just surviving
0: where can people follow along with that do you have a newsletter do you have a twitter account etc
1: yeah if you go to the website thunderbird.net you can follow the newsletter you can donate and then you get into the donors newsletter (laughs) which (laughs) we send a little more, more information about what we're doing with the money and what we're chasing after and then of course twitter moz thunderbird is our handle And then you can always follow me, shameless plug, Ryan Lee Sipes on Twitter. And I sometimes, before it's out, really in the main part of the world, I'll post things about what uh, Thunderbird's up to there. So that's another great place for information.
0: Before we wrap up, and thank you so much for being on this podcast. It's been awesome hearing about Thunderbird and your work there. And by the way, uh, that wasn't a shameless plug. That's totally okay. There's no shame from me. (laughs) And that's Sipes, S-I-P-E-S, everyone. So Ryan Lee Sipes. And now Spotlight, where we shine light on people or projects which have helped us out or open source projects that need some help. My Spotlight today is going to be a bit unconventional, simply because I come up with these every week, to which I apologize, dear audience. It's really hard to think of things but i was recently going back through and i've been subscribed to an email list for the past 10 years by martin eduardes and it's called the eaorc email list and it's evolutions and origins of of culture and it's basically the evolutionary anthropology and evolutionary linguistics mailing list and it's does it for free every single possible like article that comes out every research article that comes out is in that list and it's so cool to have just Hey, here's this entire field of research. Here's what's happening this week. Here's what's happening this week by someone who's donating his time. And I really love this list. I don't read it every week, but it really helped me a lot when I was an academic and it's just super interesting stuff. So it's the EARC mailing list. All right, Ryan, what's your spotlight?
1: Yeah. So I don't have to come up with these every week. So it's way easier for me to, to use this time to (laughs) highlight some, but the, one of the projects I've been talking about quite a lot lately is EtaSync. And now they have this other project called EtaBase, which is kind of a part of that. And it's the Edda is end-to-end, and it's a open source piece of software that allows you to end-to-end encrypt and sync your contacts, calendars, tasks, and really any other data type that you could stick in a essentially NoSQL database. And sync. And it's done by a good friend of mine, Tom, who's just brilliant in this space. And he's been in it for years and years. And so he's just, this is, he lives, breathes, drinks, sleeps, end to end encryption. And so it's really amazing. And he just rolled out EtaBase, which it's all open source still, but it's just a back endless use it to, in any of your projects, open source project to provide a way for your users to sync their data end end encrypted for that application so it's just an amazing project i use it to sync my calendars contacts and nice. tasks yeah. and then and it's super easy to set up so i encourage your listeners to just give those projects a look and try them out
0: awesome thank you so much and thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking it's been great to have you
1: yeah have a good day awesome. see you